We like it when uh, things fit together. We like things that fit together. When you were younger, you may have put together like a puzzle. We got a couple little kids that live at our house right now, and they'll have little puzzles. Maybe it's just, you know, you, the shape that you put in the wood, or maybe it's got a few pieces or whatever, but they put it together, and you know, you're like, yeah, good job, and they love it, and they feel good about putting this together. You get a little older, maybe you start doing bigger puzzles. Some of you probably like puzzles, puzzle people. Eh, a few of you. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get you saved. Um, I mean, it's just got broken apart. You're just putting it back to, anyway, the whole thing. No, people like puzzles. You like to put them together, right? Thank you very much. Appreciate that. You like to put the puzzles together. Maybe you like to knit and bring the yarn together. Maybe you like Sherlock Holmes stories where the case comes together. In each case, whether it's the thread, whether it's the weaved thing, whether it's the puzzle, whatever, when it's finished, it all fits. Mm-mm. We like it when it all fits. Some people like working on cars. Uh, they'll take an engine apart and then they'll do stuff to it and they'll put it all back together. And they love it, it all fits together. Now when I do it, when I do it, there's stuff left over <laughs> and it looks important, right? Like, and I'm just like, pray over it. The Holy Spirit's gonna make this thing go. Um, so those of you that it all fits together, give me your card because I need to go to somebody like that. We like things that fit. It's, uh, it's things that fit together that show us there is design and intelligence in the universe because it takes intelligence to make things that fit together. Creation fits. That's why we glorify God for the work of his hands in making the universe. He made the stars and the galaxies and the solar system and the way it all comes together and the way it all works. He made the earth and its beauty and the plants and the animals and God made us in his image and in his likeness. And we have from him that joy that we get when we see things fit together. We like elegance. I'm not talking about like elegance, like elegance. <laughs> I mean elegance like the elegance of something that fits together, the elegance of a story with a twist at the end that fits all the plot lines together. We like it. It's a beautiful thing, right? The elegance of art, or for some people, even like my wife, the elegance of a proof in mathematics. Some of you are like, nope, that's not me. <laughs> me neither, because I don't understand it when I see the proof. I'm just like, that's a lot of numbers, and there's letters in there, I think, and then there were some symbols, I don't know what those mean. There's a weird E thing. Like, I don't know. But there's stuff going on. It's elegant, they tell me. We like to see the pieces come together to form the whole. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. One of the most elegant works that God has done for us is in the Scripture. This is one of the most elegant works that God has done that we are aware of. Okay? We don't know what all God has done. We couldn't possibly know that. But that we are aware of is the word of God. He allowed men to participate with him in the revealing of his word, which makes it even more amazing. It is breathed by God, by the Holy Spirit, and it's glorious in its complexity and in its elegance. It's an amazing Thing. The signature of God is on every page as he shows us the layers upon layers of elegant craftsmanship in revealing himself to us, in revealing his plan for us. But to see all of that, it takes work. We get to see it come together sort of strand by strand to teach us the truth. 
And the more we study it, the more strands we see come together, right? And they fit elegantly. They fit perfectly with the strands we've already seen. So as you learn the scripture, those of you who have been in the Lord a long time can testify to this. You learn the scripture, you learn this thing. And then later you learn this thing. And it all not only fits together with itself, but also fits together with what you already learned. And you continue to expand that out. And you get more and more of the elegance and the fit. And like, oh, that's there and there and there. And all these fit together. You start to see that as you go through the scripture. That's why you can't just read one little section of scripture and fully understand it. One section doesn't stand alone, generally speaking. It's also why you can't remove any section of scripture. If you pull on the thread, the whole thing comes apart in your hands. So this is why those who reject certain parts of the scripture, because they don't fit with their modern sensibilities, end up rejecting the scripture entirely. They try to pull out a piece like it was Jenga, and like Jenga, the whole tower comes falling down. That's what happens. Hebrews 4, 12 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The scripture pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Think about that. It does this because it is clearly and evidently The word of God. And it's clear and evident to anyone willing to actually and honestly study it. Some people will study it, but they begin by rejecting God in the first place. And then they fail to see the signature of God on every page of the Bible because, of course, before they ever started, they rejected him. Or because they just blind themselves to the truth. However, if you're willing to study the word of God honestly and truly, you will find the fountain of living water, Jesus Christ, revealed in captivating layers upon layers of truth upon truth. That's what will happen if you're serious. The word of God was given to us and it was given to us for our instruction. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. By the way, there are Bibles in front of you on these chairs. If you do not have a Bible at home or it's real old or it doesn't work for some reason, take one of those home with you. That is yours to keep. Uh, We want you to have that. That is a free gift. You owe us nothing. You don't have to tell us that you took it. It's yours. Have it. You can also use them while we do this here. If you can see what's going to be up there, great. This might be in your way uh, for some of you, but uh, we're going to go through the scripture. We We do a lot of scripture. We do a lot of scripture here because what I have to say isn't very important, but what the word of God says is very important. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. And that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is very important, okay? And and there's a reason why it's very important that these words were used on purpose, okay? All scripture all of it, not a lot of scripture, some scripture, all scripture. And you have to understand that because it all fits together. It all fits together. You can't pull out one part. This is what people don't like when people are hypocrites, right? Oh, you follow that. You say you're a Christian, you follow that, but you don't follow this over here. No, we can't do that. All scripture is given 
By what? By inspiration of God. Okay? God is the one who inspired all of Scripture. That's how it works. And all of Scripture is profitable. All of it. Every bit of it. And it has to be that it's every bit of it. Because you can't have one part without the other. That's why in Revelation we get this very serious warning not to mess with the Scripture. This is why you don't want to mess around with what's in the scripture and decide what you and what you don't. Thomas Jefferson did that kind of thing. People cut up their Bible or whatever. People say, well, that doesn't really mean anything or that's not part of the thing. Nope, it's all of it. And what's it, what's it for? Well, it's for doctrine. It's for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So the man of God may be complete. You want to be complete? I think you do. Well, all scripture is given for those things for you. So you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Is there any good work that you cannot do that God has for you? No, there's not. Every good work that he has for you can be done because of what you can get from the scripture. That's a reality, okay? All of it, all of it. And it is extremely complicated and extremely elegant. There's things that a child can get and there's things that the most intelligent person ever created probably can't get because they're just so far and the well is never ending in its depth. There are those who want to throw out parts of the Bible. This command of the Lord or that miracle or this history of creation. People want to take and choose because it makes things work better with what? With the world. If you look at the places where people question the scripture, it is amazing how consistently they question the things in the scripture that would make it the scripture consistent with whatever the world wants. Go to a progressive Christian church. I don't mean progressive politically. I mean progressive in the sense that they, uh, they have decided that the scripture says things it doesn't say. Okay? I have, uh, we have stuff on that. If you want to go back in our sermon archive, you can, you can hear about progressive Christians. But you go there and what you find is they start questioning the scripture. They start removing everything. They start making excuses for everything. Well, that's culturally based or that's not really a thing. And then what happens is that's, the scripture just falls apart. As Dr. David says, it falls to dust in their hands because you can't take any piece of it out. Why? Because all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is profitable. For those things. We've been studying the book of Romans. And this scripture, the book of Romans, is definitely complicated and elegant. Listen to, to uh, 2 Peter. You got to understand that, that Romans fits together with the rest of scripture and with itself in this very complex way. And I think very few people ever have understood fully the book of Romans. I don't know if anybody has fully understood. I don't know that Paul fully understood the book of Romans. You know, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it. I don't even know that he fully got all of what was going on there. But this is what uh, Peter says, 2 Peter 3, 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. It's another one of those things saying, listen, you're going to suffer and that's okay. You're saved in that. As also our beloved brother, Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all his epistles. This is one of his epistles, Romans. What does it say about it? Speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. 
which untaught and unstable people twist their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So what's going on here? He says this, right? In all his epistles, Paul is writing some things that are hard to understand. If you've read the epistles of Paul, you're going to run into that. Now you don't have to feel bad. Peter thought so too. Peter, okay? Peter is with Jesus Christ for three years. And then again, when he rose from the dead and then leaves the church in Jerusalem, Peter's like, some of this stuff that Paul writes is really hard to understand. So if you feel like it's hard to understand, that's okay. I certainly think it's hard to understand. But here's the problem with things that are hard to understand. People will twist them. Untaught and unstable people will twist the scripture. Untaught and unstable. Unstable is is like not steadfast, right? They're not really locked in. They're not really loyal to the Lord and to his commands. They're they're unstable. They're, they're They're not steadfastly tied. And they're untaught. So what is it saying about Scripture and particularly about the letters of Paul? If you want to understand them, you better be taught and you better be steadfast. Steadfastness means I'm connected to the Lord and to what he says. And it doesn't matter what is written here. I'm going to trust that it's true. I'm not going to let myself go from the Bible as soon as something comes along that Paul writes that I don't like. And there are things that he writes that I don't like, that you don't like, because I have to transform my life to be consistent with what the Lord has given Paul for us to be done, for us, that's commanded for us. And so it's very difficult, right? He goes on and he says, since you know this beforehand, okay, you've been warned now. Peter's told you. If you didn't know before you came in here today, now you know, okay? Beware of what? Of what? That you would fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, Here's a danger for you today, especially if you're young. There are so many people right now who grew up in the church or who, are even, who even go to church who have decided that they obey the Bible and they believe the Bible only insofar as it's consistent with the way they want to live. And they make excuses and they talk about, do, do you do you, do what's right for you. As long as you're happy, you know, live your truth as if that could even be a thing, right? There's the truth. Truth can't be your truth. I mean, your truth can be like, I like strawberry ice cream. That can be your truth and you're welcome to it. Just don't try to have a theology based on your truth, right? And they'll be like, hey, listen, I just, I just don't want to have to be, you know, I don't, I don't want to have to be difficult in the world. I want people to like me. And so they change the scriptures. Why? Because they're untaught. That's, that's partially the fault of the church as they grew up probably or their parents or whoever that they weren't taught well. But the second thing is they're unstable. Their connection to the Lord wasn't secured. That's why we spend so much time downstairs with Acts Kids and with Patrick leading the youth group getting into the scriptures so that people are tied in. Thread after thread, rope after chain tied into the scriptures so that when this kind of stuff comes, you can't be moved. Because if you don't have a very tight grip, as soon as this over here comes and the person's drawing you this way, what happens? You lose your own steadfastness. 
it goes away. So he tells us what to do instead. Very simple, but grow. Grow. How are you gonna not how are you gonna be taught instead of untaught? Grow. How are you gonna be stable instead of unstable? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What is your job? You want to understand Paul, you want to do better, you want to know what you're doing. Listen, easy. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Understand the Bible. Come in here and really work. Take notes if you need to take notes. Write in that Bible if you need to write in that Bible. You got to understand it. Or what's going to happen? Untaught, unstable men and women are going to come and just draw you away into a very convenient Christianity that works really well until your life blows up. It's really great until you destroy yourself and everybody else who listens to you. It's really great until you're before the Bema seat of Christ and he goes, okay, you were raised in the church. You were raised with a family who loved the Lord. You had the scriptures. What did you do? And you go, well, I led every Christian I could away by just saying that it was no big deal and do what you want. You don't want to have to answer for that. I've got enough of that in my past when I was young, being a fool. You don't want that. Praise God for his grace. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen, right? You want to understand the epistles? You have to work. You have to work. So we've been working through Letter to the Romans, and we're walking through chapter 9, but we had to kind of work our way back through chapter 8 again and the argument there in chapter 8 so that we could understand chapter 9 better because of how complicated and elegant how many strings are going out. You know, you got the guy, the conspiracy theory guy, he's got the wall and he's got the red yarn everywhere. That's chapter nine of Romans. It's like, it's everywhere, okay? Did you like that? That was, make a song out of that. All right. Okay, it's getting catchy. All right, listen. My last sermon a couple weeks ago took us from verses 15 through 28 of Romans chapter eight. And I want to give you the points of the teaching so that we can keep moving forward, okay? Uh, this is what it looked like, the teaching that scripture. We have received the spirit of adoption from God when we were saved and accepted in Christ, okay? We received the spirit of adoption from God when we were saved and accepted in Christ. Number two, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Very important. Do not lose that. Put that in your little... Thing, children of God adopted. Those two things, okay? Because when we get to Romans 9, you're going to see them pop, pop, come right out. And you're going to have to see that they're connected back to what he just said, okay? Number three, if we're children of God, then we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, okay? Very important. We are heirs of God because we're his children, because we're adopted. We will suffer with him, with Christ, and be glorified together with him. Number five, our sufferings now cannot be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. No matter how bad it is, no matter how much you're suffering, and I know it's terrible. I'm not making light of it. I've suffered too, okay? I know what it's like. I know what it's like, and some of you are like, you don't know what it's like, and you're probably right. I don't know as bad as you've had it, and yet I can tell you that the scripture is clear that the sufferings that you have now, no matter how bad they are, cannot be compared with the glory that will be revealed in the sons of God, the children of God. Cannot be compared. Very important. Number six, creation is broken because of sin. You probably knew that. Number seven, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, which means we have real hope. 
Okay? The Holy Spirit has been given to you when you were saved. If you are saved, you have the first fruits of the Spirit. You have the seal. You have the promise on you. So you were saved in hope. You have a real hope of all these things that I just said, that what you're suffering now can't be compared to the rest, you know, that you're going to rise again like Jesus did. Why? Because you're a joint heir with Christ, because he was the firstborn among many brethren, all that good stuff. Okay? So then Pastor Dave last week walked through uh, about to verse 34. And he um, preached primarily about the hope and trust that we can have in God's plan for us. Okay, that's what he talked about. Um, what we learned from that passage that he went through, I'm just going to give the points of that really quick, okay? Number eight, we are waiting in hope for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies, okay? I woke up this morning, my back hurt, okay? It just hurt. It just, it just happens, okay? Uh, those of you who haven't had that yet, praise the Lord for you. You're probably seven, okay? Because it doesn't take that long before you're going, I want the redemption of my body, the adoption, the redemption of my body. And we're waiting for that in hope. Number nine, we wait with perseverance. That means we wait through pain because of our hope, just like Jesus did. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, right? But what was the joy set before him? Us, you, you. The Lord, when he was going through that, and I promise you, you haven't gone through this. First of all, you're not innocent and sinless, and you're not God. He was all those things and came down and was a man and, was, and allowed himself to be taken and battered and bruised and whipped and beaten and crowned with thorns and put on the cross. He, all that he knew was coming. And he sat there and he said, this is horrible. Everything about it that would be horrible for you. The shame of it, tearing his clothes off, parading him through town, nailing him to all that. And what did he do? He said, it's for them. The joy that I have in them, that, that I can pay, and I'm the only one who can pay for the sins that they will commit, that they've done. You, you, for that joy, for you. That's why he endured it. You were enough for him to endure because he knew the glory that it would be with all these children of God. You, in the same way, will persevere through pain, because of the joy that is set before you. And what's your joy? Him. His joy is you. Your joy is him. And so you'll endure it. Some of you are having to endure it right now. I know. I read the prayer requests. I know you. We all have to endure it. But we do it for the joy set before us. And that joy is him. Number 10, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. God is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit's sitting there interceding. He's praying for you. It says with groanings that cannot be uttered. Like you don't even know what to pray for. You're like, Lord, I need help. I don't know. I'm... And the Holy Spirit's like, got you. Got you. I know what you need. Why? Because if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is in communion with your spirit. And so the Holy Spirit can tell exactly what you need when he talks to the Father. Right? So we have the Father, the Daddy, the one who makes all these promises, whose will is doing this. And then within the Godhead, we have the Holy Spirit empowering, and we have the Holy Spirit interceding for you. Very important point. That's out of verse 26. And we know, this is verse 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Well, that's a good one to know. That's a good one to know. It speaks for itself. All things work together for good. Number 12, this is out of verse 29. God foreknew and predestined those who would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, so that Christ would be the firstborn of many of you brothers and sisters. He knew it ahead of time. 
If you're wondering if you can trust this plan, let me tell you something. The plan has been around a lot longer than you and a lot longer than the earth. The plan for you. He knew it. He knew it. Now we'll get more into what foreknew and predestined means. That's the whole thing that people get worked up on in chapter 9. Okay, so don't, don't get all sideways with me. Don't start thinking about that right now. But that you, you can know this because the scripture says it clearly. Read verse 29. He did foreknew. He did foreknew? He did foreknow. He did foreknew. All darn it. He, he foreknew and he predestined that these things would happen, okay? Number 13, God called those he predestined. He called those he predestined and he justified and glorified those he predestined. You're already seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You have been justified and there is an already glorified, waiting, right? That's the hope. You're waiting for the redemption of your body. That glorification, that's already set for you. In your spirit, you've already been glorified. Pretty amazing stuff. Hard to understand. Hard to understand. All right, number 14. God is our Abba, our Father. And because of that, no one can be successful against us. When you're a kid. Boys probably more than girls. I don't know how girls do this kind of thing because I'm not a girl. Um, And I can't become one. Don't listen to them. Um, I don't want to be mean, but it's true. Just biology. When I was a little boy, um, I didn't have an older brother. I was an older brother, though, and I had a younger brother. And my younger brother knew that if he got himself into trouble, all he had to do was come get me. And then big brother would come and be like, I hear your guys in trouble with my manly voice, right? <laughs> They'd be like, please don't hurt me. And I'd be like, pow, pow, you know, you the thing. But he knew he had the older brother that was going to watch his back, right? Now, that's a thing, right? Older brother, great. As long as the person you get messed, messed around with isn't too big, the older brother can probably come in and take care of you. For some of you, it's dad. You know, some of you, dad didn't have your back. Some of you, dad did. But he was pretty big when we were little. I'm amazed at how small my dad's gotten since <laughs> I've just gotten bigger, you know, in every conceivable way. Um, no, you get, you get bigger, but when you're little, man, they're huge, right? Now, all that is nothing, a whisper uh, through a glass darkly, nothing in comparison to the fact that your Abba, your father is God. Now, if your father is God who created everything, who is all-powerful, I don't think that you need to worry about anyone that can come against you, okay? And that's what the scripture says. That's what it says, He's our father. Because of that, no one can be successful against us. Now, does that mean that you can't, well, then why do I suffer? Then why might I, you know, why are people dying? Other he doesn't say that nothing's going to happen to your physical body. You know, news alert, you live on the earth in brokenness. Your body is broken. It will be redeemed. That's the whole hope that we're talking about. But bad things can happen to you. God does not promise you that you won't be killed. Okay? You got to get over that. You got to get over that. That's not what he's promising. What he's saying is nothing can be successful in what? Pulling you away from him. Nothing can be successful in accusing you of that which he's paid for already. Those are the things that you can hang on to. Those who want to save their life in this world, they're in trouble. But whoever, as Jesus Christ says, loses their life for my sake will find it. 
It doesn't mean go kill yourself or jump off a bridge. He means stop valuing your physical life so much and start living in what he already has for you. Because there, in the spirit, in the part of you that's being pulled by your future, as Dr. David often says, that part of you, that can't be touched. You cannot be touched. And that's what the scripture says. Number 15, God will give us all things. That's a good promise. Number 16, God has justified us so that no charge can be brought against us. This goes to, what about my past? What about the things I've done? I hurt that person, I hurt that person, I hurt that person. They could say, they can bring a charge. Nope. What the Lord says is, all you ever have to do is point to the cross. No charge can be against you. Why? Because Christ has justified you. That doesn't mean that there's no consequences for the things that we've done, okay? There are. There are people in prison right now like, well, if I'm justified, can I get out of here? No. No, don't steal stuff, bro. Like, it's, you know, you're, you're there for a while. Not my clients, obviously, but if you didn't pay me, you probably ended up there, you know? Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm an attorney as well as a pastor. Um, but no, you're not gonna be able to, to get everything back in this life that are consequences, but you are justified. Again, no one can come against you when it comes time for eternal life and all sin would keep you from being with God. He can't be, he's holy. He can't be with the sinful. Nobody can put any of that on you because you've already been justified already because what Christ has done for you. No charge can be brought against us. Number 17, Christ died and rose from the dead and is at the right hand of God and he is interceding just as the Holy Spirit is for us. So here's the Father, right? Your daddy and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are both interceding for you. That's what's going on. Jesus goes, yeah, I paid for that. And he goes, justified. And the Holy Spirit goes, hey, she's struggling with this, communicating that interceding and God is there to comfort you. This is what's happening, okay? All of this lays out what it means to be children of God. There is no way we're getting through this. Okay. This is what it means that we will suffer. This is what it means that our suffering is nothing in the plan that God has for us. What it means to have hope for our resurrection and turning with God in joy and in glory. What it means to be certain of things that God foreknew and predestined to happen. How can we be certain? of our future hope because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. That's why, that you can have certainty. We finish chapter eight with kind of the obvious conclusion of all this. So let's do that. Romans 8, 35 to 39, it says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? This is a rhetorical question, okay? The answer is no one, but shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or Sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. If you're a visitor, I want to welcome you to Acts Church. This is. <laughs> Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Who, who shall separate us? Nobody, no one. 
The answer is no one, right? No one shall. But then he goes through these things. He lists them. Why? Because they're real. These are the things people were going through. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, you know, poverty, peril, sword. All of those things are things that Christians did face, do face, will face until the end comes. Now, so he's saying, it's not saying these things don't happen. What's he saying? They can't separate us from God's love. Well, I don't feel very loved when those things happen. Well, get over it. He told you that the things that you're suffering now can't be compared with the things that are to come. You have to trust the system. You have to trust that whatever you go through, there's a reason for it. And you can also always go back to Jesus Christ did it, suffered for the joy that was set before, which is me. I can do it, suffer, because I have him and I have the power of the Holy Spirit for the joy that set before me, him. You can do it. You can do it. But here it is. For your sake, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. This is out of the Psalms. For your sake, we're killed all day long. Not, not even because of the things we did. We deserve death for all that, but the Lord has saved us from that. Saying, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. What does that mean? The people at this time, and now, and more and more, thought of Christ followers as nothing. Worthless. Sheep to be slaughtered. Nothing. They're just accounted as more, more sheep for the slaughter. That time was going on then. There are places in the world where it goes on now. That's a real thing. Yet he says nothing can separate us from God's love, even in that. And what does he say? Yet in all these things, what things? Well, what things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. What? I'm being killed and the sword and the nakedness and the famine and whatever, and I'm, I'm a conqueror because of that? Yes. Yes. Even in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That is some crazy stuff. Some crazy stuff. What's that about? Well, the word here is the word, I'm going to just say it the way that it looks, because I am not Greek, okay? Hypernikao, hypernikao, okay? Hyper, you've heard the word hyper, like hyper speed, right? Faster, more, hyper, more than conquerors. You are hyper conquerors. It is more than conquering, more than conquering, Christian faith is not faith in safety from harm. You got to get over that. You'll find all the health and wealth, prosperity, bull. I almost said something I shouldn't. <laughs> Filter caught it. <clears throat> it, makes me, it makes me a little upset, okay? When you see these churches and they lie to people. And twist the scripture and say, look, if you're in Christ, you're going to be da-da-da and look at the Rolex and, hey, I need a jet. That is nonsense. That is nonsense. Now, you may, you may be wealthy, okay? Some of you have more money, some of you have less money. I don't care about any of that. That may happen, but it's not that being a Christian is some sort of path to wealth and health and prosperity. That's nonsense. There's nothing scriptural about it. Nothing. Christian faith is not faith in safety, 
He is not a tame lion, as as C.S. Lewis says about Aslan. There's no safety there. But he's good. But he loves you. Harm is guaranteed, guys. There are many joys as a Christ follower. Let me tell you, most of my life is joy. But harm is always possible and often happens. Our sisters and brothers were dying then. They're dying now because of, for his sake, to this day. The question isn't whether they're dying. The question is, what are they dying for? And what is God doing with his plan? We've been promised early in the chapter that the suffering we've experienced cannot be compared with the glory that should be revealed in us as what? Children of God. So we look at this hyper hyper conquerors. It's the only place in scripture where that word is used, by the way. The hyper conqueror word. We are hyper conquerors. It isn't just overcoming. It isn't just winning. It isn't just conquering. It's more than that. Conquering has got nothing on hyper-conquering. <laughs> hyper-conquering is a whole nother that doesn't make sense. Like if I've conquered, what's more? This. This is more. Every time we feel like something God has called us to is not worth the pain and we push through that in hope, we find that the plan was worth it. And we hyper-conquer. God's plan is all of that pushing through the difficulties of this world, all of that to a degree you can't imagine. It's not just winning. It's more than that. How else do you express it? No, you didn't just win. No, God hasn't already just won. He he has hyper-conquered. And you're his child and heir, and therefore you have hyper-conquered. It's more than you can imagine. It's more than conquering. It's more than winning. It's more than overcoming. God's plan is, the hyper-conquered is to such a degree that he can talk about death as nothing in comparison to what you're going to get from him. That your death doesn't get on the scale next to what you're getting from him. You put death on the scale and it's, nope, this, this hyper-conquering. That's certain. If you are in Jesus Christ, that's certain. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. Now here's the problem. We are about to get into Romans 9 and read the next few pages here. But it's 1120. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to try to pick right back up there next week. Because you need to see what you're going to see preview on next week's episode. (laughs) You're going to see this idea, and go ahead and read it for yourself. You can do this work too yourself, but you're going to see the word adoption, the word children, and you're going to see the return as we walk back through. I'm going to quickly walk you back through Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, just quickly telling you what each chapter says so you can see the return of the issue between the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman church. And you're going to see what Romans 9 is, is about, where it's starting, and then you can understand all that more difficult stuff.